Good evening and welcome to another all-new Diz Dads Podcast Plus episode. I'm your host, Aaron Ripmaster, and this week I'm joined by my co-host, Willie Crocker. Hey, guys. And sitting in this week for Tim Hicks, who is lost at sea somewhere off the coast of Florida. Uh, sitting in is a guest from the uh, Diz Dads community and a newbie to the show. So welcome, uh, Brian LaBeouf. Hey, how's everybody doing out there? So we're really excited to get down and talk in detail, really, for the first time about Galaxy's Edge. Um, We did kind of a bit of a preview on the show um, sort of shortly before our little changeover, but this is the first time we've had a chance to talk about it since the opening of Rise of the Resistance, which means that all of Galaxy's Edge at Walt Disney World is now open going to be a really great conversation here in a minute. Before we get to that, I do want to take a minute and thank our podcast sponsors. Uh, First, a thank you to Willie's travel agency, Wicked Mouse Travel in Boston. Also, uh, thank you to my own agency, Mouse Master Travel in Kansas. And uh, also, our Enduring thanks to uh, the folks at Kingdom Strollers. And a reminder that Kingdom Strollers now has stroller distribution available at the airport there in Orlando. Um, They can't do the drop-offs anymore. You have to either meet them in person or uh, you can do the pickups at the airport. Great service. And check them out at kingdomstrollers.com. All right. uh, So time to dive into the subject matter at hand. Um, Galaxy's Edge and... um, Somebody want to take a stab at kind of a, a background, you know, what, I mean, once upon a time when the, when the word first started that we were going to get a Star Wars land, I think that, that the image that a lot of us had was, um, you know, the, the, the TIE fighter or the X-wing fighter spinner ride and, uh, you know, that original iteration, uh, and then that didn't get built. We just got the Star Tours attraction and then there's this event across town in Orlando <laughs> that that kind of changed the way that Walt Disney World approached sort of single IP themed lands, right? I can't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, when Universal opened the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, they sort of shifted the the game to some extent because, you know, Disney was used to being able to drop IP that was related to lots of different properties into sort of a shared themed land. And, you know, we got really lands that we enjoyed a lot, but that weren't necessarily coherent from attraction to attraction. Um, you know, fantasy land was all fantasy, but it was lots of different stories. Um, it was, it was Cinderella. It was, uh, uh, Pinocchio in Disneyland. It was, uh, Sleeping Beauty. It was all these different, uh, characters 
kind of lumped together into a, a shared story. Harry Potter changed the way we think about a themed land in a theme park in a lot of ways. And the the first sort of experiment with that at Walt Disney World was um, Pandora, the world of Avatar. Um, and then the next step was to come back and revisit what had been sort of perking along in the background for a long time, which is an idea of an immersive Star Wars land or, or a Star Wars land, and now it was going to be a more immersive land. So um, let's let's then sort of set the the stage for this land that's now open at Walt Disney World sort of overall. Willie, why don't you go ahead and give us an overview of what this 14-acre land is all about? Well, first off, when I first entered Galaxy's Edge, I was completely overwhelmed. I'm not a huge Star Wars fan, and it blew my mind. From just when you walk down from Toy Story Land right into where you just see everything, it just was so overwhelming. It was like the detail was so precise. Everything just fit exactly how you would think it was designed to fit and I didn't even know what half the stuff was, and I thought it was amazing, <laughs> which was really cool. I mean, like, the first thing I really saw that I knew what it was was the blue and green milk. And right. I was just like, holy cow, that's cool. And then, you know, every corner you turned around, there was something else from when you saw the Millennium Falcon to when you went up to Ronto's Rooster. Uh, roasters. It's just, like, so amazing. And I didn't realize that it's so large of a land. Right, right. Now, I don't want to get too much into the the weeds of it yet because I, I want to make sure that we kind of set the stage. So um, 14 acres and and really richly themed and detailed, even for somebody who's not a, you know, diehard Star Wars fan. Um, Brian, what's an overall feel for the land that you would add to that description? You know, honestly, just completely blown away when it comes down to it. I mean, it was it was mind bending. It was, uh, you know, I came in my first time on the opposite side over by like Muppets theater and, and the Muppets 3d and everything. So coming through and just kind of walking over by where the queue for rise of the resistance is and such. And it just to walk in and just hear the sights and the sounds. Cause that's one thing that Disney does really well with, with this land is they include just, the sights and those sounds in the background and, and all those type of things just kind of came over me. And I, me being a huge Star Wars fan on the other end, it was one of those things that just really, it, I actually ended up with a tear in my eye. One of those deals where you're like, wow, it's, it's, I'm actually here. And, and it was just that feeling and that, that immersiveness that they really give you that right. just uh, it blew my mind. Yeah, I mean, this is the conversation that Willie and I had, you know, about a month ago when we were talking about the fact that, that, you know, I grew up with Star Wars. I mean, I, I was, I was eight years old when the new, when a new hope was in theaters and it, it was, you know, I was one of those kids where when we went back to school the next year, uh, in the fall, it wasn't a matter of, you didn't ask people if they saw Star Wars, right? It was it was this running sort of bragging contest about how many times you had seen Star Wars. Um, because, and, and, you know, I wasn't one of the ones on the extreme end because, you know, you had to pay for it. But I mean, th there were kids who were literally from the time it opened at the end of May until school started in, in August, you know, we're going to see it four and five times a week all summer. 
Um, so, you know, that's, that's the environment I grew up in, right? This was, you know, I'm, I'm in that original core, um, fan base. And then, you know, Willie is a little younger than I am. And so maybe not quite as, as connected to the, the original source material. Um, and it was interesting to me that we had very similar reactions despite having, you know, different sort of backgrounds and relationships to the, the material to begin with. I don't know. Where where are you in all this, Brian? <laughs> so I came in, I, I was born in 1980. So by the time I really knew what Star Wars was, you know, I was well, you know, late 80s, early 90s, kind of in that era. But uh, it was still one of those things where, you know, you're eight, nine years old by this time, you know, the movies have been out for a while. So I didn't get a chance to see the originals into in the movie theater till they did the remakes. But you still had the VHS taper. I still remember having the large laser discs. Wow! Back in the day. <laughs> hey, well, and, uh, and that means you actually got to see the, the version that originally played on on screen because exactly. the laser disc is the only version. preserved copies, as far as I know. Yep. So and it so it was one of those great things of you know I remember running around it with like a broom handle, thinking that you know that's my lightsaber, sure. you know, and swing around type of deal. So it was uh, just one of those. It was just a movie that I just got lost into and uh, kind of fell completely fell in love with. And, you know, luckily I have kids of my own and can pass it on to them. And <laughs> <laughs> they get to do the same thing now, except now they get the cool lightsabers to play with. There you go. Well, so I guess one thing I would say that, you know, kind of echoing these things, but but to put a finer point on it, um, as you're entering Galaxy's Edge, whether you're coming from the uh, – sort of through the Grand Avenue side or around through Toy Story, the Imagineers at Walt Disney World did a fantastic job of sort of hiding the land. I mean, this is a land that has, it, it's called Black Spire Outpost is the, the name of the fictional town in the land. And even though it's all you know built with these huge spires and everything, it's it's essentially invisible. I mean, yeah, if you really look for it, you can see it. But most of the land is really invisible until you kind of go through the tunnel and you get that grand proscenium effect, just like, you know, Walt envisioned for the entrance to Disneyland, where, you know, you go through a restricted view area and then it unfolds in front of you very much cinematically. It's, it's like the curtains, you know, opening on a, a film and they just did a magnificent job of creating that that aha or that wow moment when you enter the land, I think. I completely agree. And you don't have to be a fan to go. It is that cool. Like you can just walk in and see and just take in everything. And the aha moment, like you said, is literally once you walk through the tunnel or down the hill from Toy Story. It's just amazing. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. Do you, I think I've gone in through both directions. How about you? Have you guys both entered through both entrances at some point? Yeah, I have. I've entered through both entrances okay, a so, couple of times. <laughs> right. So, so, Brian, do you have a preferred way to go into Galaxy's Edge at Walt Disney World? You know, I like to go in through Grand, through right off Grand Avenue, through the, the tunnel. I, I like that way because it, the way it opens up to you, right? And the way that it keeps 
even when you come through that way, it keeps a lot of that land still hidden. And it's still, as you turn and you go through corners, more of that land opens up and more things open up and you're just like, oh my goodness. And I just, to me, that just, it gives me that, that cinematic effect coming through that way more so than maybe the Toy Story, uh, Toy Story direction. Now that's a good point. And, and the tunnel, I think has a big, plays a big part of that, um, because it does do you know, a good job of really restricting your range of, of view. Um, on the other hand, I don't know, Willie, do you have a, a preference for one way or the other? Or do you agree? I'm very much in agreement. Um, I did, find that going through the tunnel because when you leave like grand avenue you feel like you have to take like those extra 30 or 40 steps and then you hit the tunnel so it's like you're almost like into hyperspace and then you get in the tunnel and then it opens up into galaxy's edge which is cool because it's like you're at baseline tap house and then you just keep walking and next thing you know you hit a tunnel and you're like here we are that's true you get a bit of a transition that way i I will say while I mostly agree, um, I do think that when you enter from the Toy Story Land side, in some ways you get a better reveal of the Millennium Falcon because of the approach. And for some people, that's the particular you know reveal moment that's more important to them. Because I agree that overall, I think it's a better reveal of the land to come through Grand Avenue. But if you're one of those folks, because you know some people have complained that you know, they don't really like this interpretation because they feel like the land should have been more like something that's more familiar to them in the film from the movies. And so since the Millennium Falcon is the thing that's familiar, you know, that that's the reveal that's more meaningful for them. I, I happen to disagree. I, I think that the land itself speaks for itself, but I get it. I do understand that some people have a different perspective. So if that's important to you, you might find the entrance from Toy Story Land to give you a better a more fulfilling experience. Let's put it that way. Well, I also think that coming in from Grand Avenue, you're basically walking straight into a ride to start. I mean, uh, well, okay, you yes, but you're walking straight into a ride to start that you can't get on. Correct. Right? I mean, you just can't go walk on it because it's Rise of the Resistance, and we're going to talk about that in a second. So it's just a museum over on the left, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, but, uh, yeah, so, all right, so let's, let's go ahead and start diving into the actual contents of the land. Um, you know, we talked in more detail in the earlier version of the show, we talked, um, about, you know, shopping and things like that. Um, so I don't want to belabor all of those elements, but I do want to hit a few highlights. Um, so Brian, I know you've spent several days getting to wander around in Galaxy's Edge, leaving the rides to the side for just a minute. Um, Talk about the the other things that are part of the atmosphere, the shops, the restaurants, those kinds of things. What of those are your favorites? What really stands out for you? You know, I, I think the way the shops are set up uh, definitely – it's a lot different from anywhere else in, I think, a lot of Disney's other, you know, parks or anywhere that they've done, you know – with, uh, you know, Magic Kingdom, you have big stores like the Emporium and and different things like that. In Galaxy's Edge, they really broke it up into small little, like, stands for the most part. So, you know, over on one side, you might find some of your character stuffed animals, different things like that, your pins and, and those type things. But then on the other side, you have 
some of the the creatures that you can purchase and those things so the way they broke it up and made it seem like there were you know little stands and, and each one of the cast members um really embodies that salesperson that they would have and and try to get you over to their stand at least when i was there they were doing that really interacting uh you know pulling you over to play you know card games and and such just a lot of different things that they did to uh to really make you feel completely immersed in, in the world that uh that whole shopping district i guess you could call it um right. i thought was just just beautifully done that way just completely something different that you uh you don't see in any of the other parks. Sure. Uh, how about you, Willie? What, what parts of the sort of shopping dining area there really stand out to you? Well, first off the stores, just from the way the, um, employees interact with you all the way down to like, just how detailed each store is from, you know, I went and got one of those. I don't even know what the animal was for a friend of mine. (laughs) And literally, they were like, oh, your adoption papers are included in there. It was like they play the part so well. And, you know, it's like when you went and got a blue milk and we asked for something and they pretended like we didn't they didn't know anything about what we were talking about. It's if we ordered our milk and we got this, but then everything else was just like, you know, we were speaking Klingon, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, they wanted us to, you know, how are we? something about how are we accessing our credits or something like that instead of scanning our magic bands. Yeah. It was just so immersive and so impressive. And I give the cast members just as much credit that they're doing their job just like they would be, you know, anywhere else, but they're also in galaxy's edge instead. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that overall the cast at galaxy's edge does such a great job of, Disney's always talked about, you know, any cast member that's actually in the park is considered on stage. But those cast members really embrace that role and really embrace the idea that they're they're on stage. They're not just in front of guests, but they're on stage and they're inhabiting a role um, in in a very conscious way. Um, well, well, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I just say one of the great things that they did with that, if you had a chance to sit, to like really get into conversation with a cast member is that each one of them, they gave their own complete backstory to. Right. So one of those cast members has to remember, you know, this whole backstory for their character that they're playing every time that they're there in the land, which is absolutely amazing that they, they remember that type of stuff to begin with, (laughs) but that they, you know, day in and day out, they, they live that character, you know, over and, and just have all that, that depth of knowledge to it, which is mind boggling to me. Right. So let's let's talk about. I mean, I I would agree. I think that that that's a good overview of of sort of the um, shopping area in general. I'm a big fan of the little, just a little stand at the very end of the the row where there's always a cast member there trying to engage people to play sabak with them or to, you know, just just as as a hawker in a bazaar would be right, just trying to pull people into the bazaar and and engage them. And um, I really. You know, I love that atmosphere. Um, so that's the shopping. Let's talk about dining a little bit because that's one of those areas where um, immersive theming, historically at least, can be a blessing and a curse, right? Um, and and apparently Disney has experienced some of this. Um, I think we've all heard some of the 
you know, rumors and we've seen some of the things where Disney has experimented back and forth a little bit. Um, for a while, they, they, um, pulled the menus that used the Galaxy's Edge specific terms for the food and switched them out for menus that had, you know, ordinary names. Then they switched them back. Um, it turns out the whole thing was because they wanted to do an experiment. I mean, basically what it's come down to is that their numbers say that people take longer to order. <laughs> in Galaxy's Edge than they do in other restaurants. Uh, and they wanted to see whether it was because the there was some confusion about what people were ordering. Um, from what I understand, that that's not that theory didn't play out. So that part is good. Um, but the reality is that the food is a little different, right? It's not the same stuff you find everywhere else in the parks. So what are some of the things that you've tried or you've seen in the um, restaurants there in Galaxy's Edge that you think is worth noting? Either, you know, something that people should watch out for because, gosh, it sounds good, but it's just not. Um, or other way around, right? You wouldn't really think it, but it's really good. I can start with the blue milk. Okay. I mean, you you convinced me, and then you said, you know, obviously get it with rum. And most people have dogged it for, oh, it doesn't have milk product in it. Who cares? It's a drink. Like, if you were looking for a glass of milk, you would go get a glass of milk. But this is like a creative, you know, Disney concoction. I know it's some similar to what the other park on the other side of, you know, the highway has. But it's... It's really good. It's it's a nice, you know, tasting drink that's very, very, like, refreshing. Like I said to you, I could go back and have another one. But, you know, we had somewhere to be. Right. Well, and what's interesting about it is that, that the fact that it's not actually milk means that when they get it as cold as they get it, it gets a really interesting kind of slushy consistency that you wouldn't get from milk. Like, milk would get ice crystals in it, and this doesn't. Uh, at least not the same way, like not sharp ice crystals. Um, so it's got an interesting uh, texture to it. And I, I agree. I I tried it both with and without rum. I think it's much better with rum. Um, not as fond of the green milk. I didn't think the green was nearly as good. Now, Brian, do you have a, a uh, colored milk preference? Uh, you know, I'm kind of mixed between the two. So the, the blue milk, I, I really did enjoy. Um and it was definitely something took back because you don't know what to expect when you go into it. You're like, all right, you know, is this going to be kind of like a chalky kind of deal or, you know, there's a lot of different things. But the blue I really enjoyed. And actually the green I found I liked a little bit better than the blue. Yeah. Okay. But it, it kind of had that weird uh, fruity pebbles kind of taste to it. <laughs> okay. The easiest way I could explain it. Right. It kind of had that weird fruity pebbles kind of aftertaste. Um, and that's the one my, my kids actually went after quite a bit more was the, uh, the green milk as well. So it was, uh, but I, I, I liked them both. They were definitely something completely that, uh, you weren't expecting when it came down to it. Okay. Now, have you tried the green milk with the tequila? I have not. Okay. I have not. I did not get into the rum or the tequila those two day, the days that I was there. Okay. But um, what kid doesn't like fruity pebbles? Right, exactly. All kids like fruity pebbles. So, <laughs> but no, they they went after it. It was it was great. Like I said, the we you know we sat there and went back and forth with it a couple of times. I was like, all right, we gotta go back and get some more. And it was a debate <laughs> for probably a half hour between the six of us on which ones we all liked more. And uh, out of the six of us, it, the green actually uh, came through a little bit more than the blue. Interesting. 
All right. Well, so we'll have to agree to disagree. I, I <laughs> was not fond of the green at all, but, uh, you know, to each their own. Um, did you have the green with tequila? Uh, I, I did. I just tasted the green tequila. Um, okay. it, it didn't help. Um, in my opinion, but like I said, I liked it. And you know, it may have just been that I like the blue. And so in comparison, since I already liked the blue, um, you know, the green didn't hold up as well. Uh, so, uh, that's kind of the, been the signature, um, element, but, but I guess what I'm, you know, trying to get us to get into a little more is you've got Docking Bay 7, you've got Ronto's Roasters, and these are the places where people are going to, to get food in Galaxy's Edge, and almost everything on the menu looks different, right, than what you find other places. So what, what are we suggesting to people are the things that they ought to be looking to um, as being, you know, good options? Yeah, I guess I'll jump in. I, uh, you know, I did like Ronto's. I, I like the the breakfast wrap um, okay. that they did. That was actually uh, quite surprising um, for the sausage and, and the different way that they do it. That was uh, that was something that I, I quite enjoyed. The one thing I, I didn't really enjoy as much as I thought I would was uh, the uh, the jerky. Oh, okay. That they had there for uh, the uh, the. I think it was the spicy one and I love spicy food, but I just, it seemed like it was just lacking something to me. Okay. But you know, the, uh, the wraps were definitely, you know, a one in my opinion, when it came down to it, uh, they were, uh, something completely different from what you see in any of the other, other parks or anywhere else. Um, and it was a nice, just different addition. And the fact that they do, you know, a different breakfast variety of it was really cool as well. It wasn't just yeah. the same thing in the morning and the afternoon and, you know, deal with it type of thing. Willie, did you find anything you liked? I know you're a little bit I of a picky eaten eater. There. You haven't eaten in there at all? Mainly because I couldn't read the menu. <laughs> and you know how I am with the menu. If you can't figure out what it is, I'm not going to order. Right. Well, and that's the problem with the food there. I mean, this is why I thought it would be worth talking about. I mean, to give you an example, um, and it, I know it's a little weird, right? You know, and we'll get to this in a minute, but, but when you're in line to get into the land at five in the morning and, you know, you get in and you go do a couple of things and you're hanging out in the land because, you know, you're not going to get to ride Rise of the Resistance until, you know, nine or 10 and you've got hours to kill. It's time to eat breakfast at some point there. And it's sort of a weird time almost, right? And that probably will moderate over time as the crowd levels, you know, even out a little bit, but it, it it struck me as being a, an unusual feel because I'd already been in the land for a couple hours and then I was going to get breakfast, um, which is not normal for me. But um, so I, I went into Docking Bay 7 and the I was surprised at how limited the menu was for Docking Bay 7. I expected there to be more options than there were um, on the one hand. On the other hand, I have to say that I was pleasantly surprised by the Bright Sun's morning breakfast. Um, you know, it, it was definitely a Galaxy's Edge twist on Disney's rather, you know, you can get anywhere, their bounty platter, right? It shows up in some form at breakfast at any quick service. So the Bright Sun's morning is, they, they call it a three cheese egg bite, Okay. Um, it's kind of like, it reminded me once I get into it of the, um, of the Starbucks sous vide egg 
dishes that they make. It's that similar texture. It's similar preparation. Um, but it, it, you know, makes it come out looking a little different. Um, tasted good. I thought it was really, uh, you know, flavorful. Uh, and then there's sausage that comes with it that was surprisingly pleasantly spicy. Like it, it was, it was a sausage product from Disney that, you know, wasn't bland. Um, so it was a little bit spicy, but not a lot. Um, purple potato hash. So again, they could have just done regular potatoes, but they decided to go bizarre. <laughs> it didn't change the flavor of them much. The, they're still they still taste like potato. Um, so they're good breakfast potatoes. Um, and then the mini Mustafarian lava roll is just like a little sweet roll thing. Um, so I mean, the problem is you look at the menu and and all of those things sound weird, <laughs> and they're just for the most part. You know, they just look a little different. It's kind of like a green eggs and ham thing, you know? Um, I mean, it may not seem familiar, but I guess what I would say is, you know, maybe get half as many meals as you normally would and share and see what people like and then go back and get what you like. I don't know. Willie's going to argue with me. He's looking like he wants to. No, it's more, isn't that just always true about Hollywood studios in general? Oh, that, that's a different thing, though. I mean, this is because because the I will give them credit. As Hollywood Studios goes, you know, this is some of the best quick service quality anywhere. Because I thought it was all good quality. It's just whether you particularly like the dishes. There are other places in Hollywood Studios where things that I normally would like I don't like because they're done poorly. It's and that's the. I mean, if you're picky like me, and I openly admit I'm picky. It's hard to find food. Like, you really have trouble finding food anywhere in Hollywood Studios. And, like, that sounds good, the, you know, eggs, and I love spicy sausage. But then the purple potatoes are amazing, I know. But, like, if you're 16 and you walk up with a $20 bill, you might walk away with a $20 bill and still be hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I could see that. I mean, even the oatmeal there, right? It's it's Tug's Overnight Oats, and it's um, oats, dragon fruit, yogurt, seasonal fruit. So it's your basic yogurt parfait, right? But it's it's one twist is that it's got dragon fruit in it. Well, the problem is that most people don't know what dragon fruit is. It's got a fairly mild flavor, so it's not going to be that big an impact. But if you don't know what it is, seeing it on the menu may scare people away from ordering it and you know, I don't know. It, it, it's uh, unfortunate if that happens. The word dragon scares you away. <laughs> I mean, it, you don't know what it is. Like, I mean, I know what dragon fruit is just because, but like, you're like dragon fruit in my oatmeal or my, you know, parfait, but it's dragon fruit. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, and importantly, um, and the, the reason initially I wanted to talk about this is because I was there at breakfast time. I was there in the morning. Um, you can't order coffee in Galaxy's Edge. You can order Black Cat. <laughs> there is no coffee. <laughs> coffee doesn't exist on Batu. <laughs> so if you're going to need your morning caffeine, you need to get some Black Cat. Or the Coke little. Yes, or, or the, the Coke in the detonator bottle. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, that's another one of the fun bits of, of uh, theming is that, that all of the soft drinks that you buy from a cart, you know, instead of being in your regular shape bottles, are in themed 
bottles as well. Um, even, even the water bottle is, you know, themed with, uh, writing on it in, in Arabesh and, or Arabesh and, and the, you know, the other soft drinks are in, you know, bottles that look like detonators, thermal detonators. Um, any other food type things worth mentioning here before we move on from food? Brian, any thoughts on food before we move on? No, I, I think we kind of got them. I mean, it, it, it definitely is one of those things where uh, the food there is, is is definitely unique, and uh, I I can totally see where it throws it off. You know, I've I've again go back to my kids because they were there with me the the whole week I was there, and uh, it was one of those deals where they just you could explain to them what it was, and they're like, "Yeah, that's not what that says." I'm not, <laughs> and you know. <laughs> Even with the oats, you know, just just to see somewhere where where you're looking, and you're like, all right, well, they got some oats, you know, some oatmeal, you know, with mango smoothie and and mixed fruit and stuff in it, you know, where they're going, um, smoothie in my oatmeal. No, I'm good, Dad. We're just, I'll wait to go get some, uh, you know, some popcorn in a bucket or something somewhere else, you know. <laughs> so that's uh, but it, again, it was uh, I, I liked how they started out with with everything being you know, all completely themed. I, I did think that it took a little bit something back when they pulled it away and they went to completely just explaining, here's what it is, you know, with the menu. And then I think now it's uh, more of a hybrid type deal is what they did. Right. So they've kept all so, of the names, but there is a descriptive underneath the name that explains right. what it is. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit more, you know, understanding when it comes down to it. But, uh, you know, again, I'm adventurous. I, I've, I was a chef for a long time. So me, I'm like, Hey, throw it at me. I'll give it a try. Let's, let's see what happens from there. And I, I was pleasantly surprised with most of it. Um, one thing I will note real quickly, just as a practical tip, um, all of galaxy's edge, you know, it, it, it's, it's built the most recently, right? So it's got all of the latest innovations. Take advantage of mobile ordering in galaxy's edge. Take advantage because the lines back up and all that. And if you do mobile ordering, you're going to walk right past those lines and just go straight up and pick up your food because they are set up to handle mobile ordering well. Um, they've got all the tech built in. It's not like they had to retrofit like the Magic Kingdom locations did. So it really is well worth it to go ahead and do mobile ordering. Uh, all right. So let's talk attractions. I know that's what we've been waiting on. Um Let's start with the one that's been open the longest, which is Smuggler's Run. Um, Smuggler's Run is still accepting people only via standby. There's no fast pass line for Smuggler's Run open just yet. Um, and no, obviously no fast pass reservations as a result. So um, the, the, well, let's start with, we've all ridden, I'm sure more than once. Anybody have a favorite strategy for riding um, Smuggler's Run to sort of get the best chance to have um, sort of not a ridiculously long standby wait? VIP tour. <laughs> All right. So one trick is the VIP tour. Now it's pricey, but it'll work. Um, you know, they, they will, it, it's the one place where you can get ex accelerate entry. The VIP tour still is not providing access to Rise of the Resistance. Um, but they will get you on, uh, uh, smugglers run in an expedited fashion. Um, any other tips for avoiding the longest lines at, uh, smugglers run? What I've seen is go late at night. Okay. So one option is late at night and the land is beautiful at night. So that's 
you know, a good, good bit of advice. Um, Brian, any thoughts? You've been back multiple times. Yeah, the, the you know, late at night's one thing, and then obviously early in the morning, if you're going to try and get there to get, get your boarding pass for the other one, then, you know, it's easy to shoot right on. I mean, uh, I was able to get on a couple mornings pretty much within 15, 20 minutes, you know, right after park opens. Uh, so that, that worked out really well. Yeah, I mean, I think the best suggestion I have is just a slight twist on what Brian was doing, and that is, it appears to me, and I'm a data guy, so I've been digging into data on on smugglers run wait times. Um, so the first sort of hour or two after park opening, smugglers run wait time spikes, right? It goes way high right away because people flood directly to the land. But starting, you know, it, it's a bit of a... Um, Apparently, you know, an anomaly that it works this way, but you know, there's this big rush to it first thing, and then there's a lull. So, around nine thirty or ten, right, is a better time to get in line for Smuggler's Run than you know eight or nine, right? Let that initial sort of bolus of people, right, work their way through the line, and then then you can get in line. Um, I will say, I would agree that my experience was even when the land was getting very full because people were flooding in, you know, rise of the resistance had only been open for about a week. Um, I, I felt like it's, it's fulfilling its promise of being a, a real people eater and moving through, you know, large groups of people fairly quickly, even when the line was long, it moved steadily. Yeah, I can agree with that. I mean, we jumped in our, my first day in the land, um, when we went in there, I think it, they were at an 85 minute wait, but with all of the theming and everything that goes through the queue line and everything there, that wait didn't feel anywhere near 85 minutes. And I think even from timing it, I want to say it might've been only about an hour to be honest. Cause it did, it, it felt like you were constantly moving. There was always something going on to keep your attention going. So, you know, even with the wait, wait being that long, it didn't feel like it was anything crazy at all. Um, and, and even with that being said, I don't think I saw the wait times really get over 90 minutes the whole time I was there, even once they opened up Rise of the Resistance and the land just absolutely ended up flooded for those first few days. That wait time still didn't seem to jump over 90 minutes at all. It just kept just pumping people through. Yeah. Well, and um, the, the other thing um, is that I think – in my, this is this part I don't have data on yet, but I believe that uh, Smuggler's Run is another of the attractions that we need to put on the list of attractions that Disney um, lies about. Um, I'm fairly certain that they're inflating those wait times on purpose. Um, what they're doing is they're they're playing this game to see how far they can pump it up and get people to bulk right? To not get in line because th what they want to do is keep those weights at around an hour, right? 60 minutes or less. But if, if they post 85, 90 minutes, the question is how many extra people can they get to say, you know what, I'll come back and do it later. And that way the the, the actual wait is never 85 minutes and nobody ever complains if they get in a line that says 85 minutes and it only takes 60. But if the line said 60 and it took 85, everybody's going to guest relations and complaining. And I think that's very typical because if you look at Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, it starts out at 85 minutes the minute the park opens. It's like it, no one's even there, and right. it's already 85 minutes. And right. 
because you walk up and you're like 85 minutes. There's no way we're waiting for that. Right. But if you see 40 minutes, like you said, oh, we can wait 40 and it might only be 30. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's seven dwarfs is one where they inflate. Um, uh, 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 why am I being able to the, the Pandora, um, flights of passage. Yeah. Flight, so yeah. Yeah. Flight of passage is the other one that they inflate really badly. Um, and they, you know, for that purpose, they want to scare people off. Um, so talking a little bit more about, um, the attraction smugglers run, you know, we talked about the fact that there's really rich theming. You go through, uh, the line, you know, moves very quickly. Any particular tips or suggestions for people, um, about smugglers run to get the best experience out of the ride? Go with a group of six. So, you know, you're all in the same pod. Okay. That's one good tip is, is, you know, if you can group up in, in a group of six, then everybody will be on the same, you know, get on the ride together and you won't have to deal with people you don't know who are part of your ride. Cause one of the challenges of, of smugglers run is that you're having to cooperate with the other people in the ride vehicle to sort of accomplish a task. I mean, it's the most video game of any of the Walt Disney world attractions at this point, And you kind of do have to, to work together. Um, I don't know, Brian, any, any tips you would share? Yeah. You know, one thing we did is we, uh, when we went on it, we had to actually have the same job a couple times in a row to get the hang of it. That's something for sure. Cause I know we went on and then the next time we went on, we all swapped what we were doing just to get a different experience when it came down to it. And that was awesome. But man, talk about, you know, crash and burn literally <laughs> <laughs> when it comes down to it, you know, especially when you're letting, you know, a seven year old think that he can pilot, you know, the millennium Falcon and you're like, no. Um, but you definitely got to go on it a few times and get a hang. It took me a couple of times to get a hang of, of the flying it and stuff like that. And once, once we got that going and, and everybody kind of knew their role at that point, it worked out pretty well. Well, and, and I think what was interesting to me is that, because um, Willie and I were talking about this with some other people that we were traveling with. And um, it seems to me that, that, People are breaking into interesting sort of camps on this subject. Um, there are some people who are saying that, you know, they're concerned because, gosh, when they ride it, you know, every time, they really, they just want to be the pilot all the time. And that's all they want to do because they they want to be in, in control. But it's interesting to me that I, as many people as I hear say that, I'm now starting to hear people say more and more, you know, Actually, I really like being the engineer in the back and not having so much responsibility because then I can actually focus on the attraction instead of my job and really watch the ride unfold in front of me. And, and so for me, that's a better experience to me that points out really a strength of the ride because it makes it, I think more rewritable for everybody in that, you know, if, if it's too stressful for you, if it's not fun to be the pilot, try again, riding in back as the engineer, right? Where there's not as much on your shoulders. I've been the pilot both times and both times I've walked off the ride sweating from so much like tension of just paying attention. And it's like, and then you hear this, the engineer go, that was such a cool ride. I did a little of this and a little of that. And I was like, I was so focused. I missed half the, the ride because I was just like so focused on the up and down, left and right, right and left. It was crazy. Oh yeah, definitely. It, it's, the pilot, I think, is is the one spot on there where you do miss 
the big picture, sort of speak, you know, when it, when you're looking out the windows and everything else that I definitely notice you're, you're so focused on not crashing and doing everything else where if you are a gunner or an engineer, you definitely get to see just the whole stage show in front of you and, and really get that full experience. So you, that's one thing they did great with it is, is wherever you are, it's a different experience, you know, even from the right side to the left side, right. there's little different things that you'll notice depending on where you're sitting and, and everything. All right. And of course, if you really need to be the person who pulls the lever to hit light speed, right. You need to be the right side pilot. That's the person who launches you into lights into, into hyperspace. Uh, and I think I messed that up last time. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, so, and I don't want to go into a lot of detail in the attractions because I don't want to spoil it for people. I want them to experience it for themselves. So I think we've done a good job of giving people an overview without kind of giving away too much. Um, let's talk now uh, about sort of the the main attraction for the time being, and that's Rise of the Resistance. Um, this show will go out uh, just after Rise of the Resistance opens in Disneyland, and um, all the information I'm seeing so far suggests that Disneyland's going to be using essentially the same type of system uh, to get people on the attraction that Walt Disney World is using right now. And it also appears finally, just within the last week or so, that the procedure for entry and for assigning things at, at Walt Disney World has kind of calmed down a little bit, gotten a little bit more, um, I don't know what I would call the sort of fixed and normal, at least for a while, way that it's going to be handled. So um, anybody, either of you comfortable kind of summarizing how that process works? I can do it. <laughs> all right. All right. Let's hear it. All right. So the way that they're doing it is they're, they're doing it with what's called a boarding pass. And this is something completely new to Disney, uh, at least Disney world and Disneyland from, from my understanding. And, and with, uh, the boarding pass, I was there opening day and it was the first time that they had really rolled out this whole boarding pass system. So what it is, is once you enter the park, scan your magic band or whatever, whatever it is, and, and your entire party that's going to ride the ride has to have scanned into the park. Um, you'll open up your My Disney Experience app. And in there, you'll see they give a little Rise of the Resistance little spot on there, and you'll click, you know, select my boarding pass. From there, it's just like picking your fast passes. You'll select everybody who's in your group um, that you're kind of in control of. And you'll, as long as they've scanned into the park and, and they're in, actually in the park proper in Hollywood Studios, then you can select them and it'll hit boarding pass. And then what it does is it gives you a virtual queue. So at that point, it'll say, you know, your boarding pass 45. And then from there, you can go anywhere you want um, in Walt Disney World. It was it, We didn't have to. One thing I found out is we didn't have to stay in Hollywood Studios. We could go right. back to the hotel, go grab breakfast, whatever it was, wherever we wanted to do. And then you'll get a pop-up notification from the app that says your boarding pass is now loading. And it gave you a two-hour window to head over to rise of the resistance and get in line. And from there, you know, I think the most I waited was 20 minutes once we got into the actual queue line. Um, and that's really most of that is eaten up by just walking through the initial just queue line. Cause it's so massive as it is. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I've read, you know, posts and different things about with this, with this virtual queuing system, this boarding pass system that you have, you know, there's a lot of people for it. A lot of people kind of, you know, it's new and different. 
so there's people all against it and they don't like it. Honestly, I think it's probably one of the most ingenious ideas that Disney's come up with. Um, I like the fact that you can jump in, get your boarding pass and go about your day. You're not standing in a queue line for four or five hours, like over at the other, other place on the other side of town when they opened up, you know, Hagrid's at, you know, eight, eight, nine hour waiting time for it. Well, and I love um, that they're I, communicating with you electronically because, you know, when, when, look, with Hagrid's, the only way to find out whether it's up is to go walk over there and see if it's up. And right. with Rise of the Resistance, if you get into a boarding group, you know, you'll get a message from the app that says, hey, we're sorry, you know, you're whatever, it's delayed, or you'll get the alert, okay, come, you know, come get in the, in the line. Um, so you, yeah, you're, you're much less tethered to that little corner of the park. Right. And, and that's a great thing. And if you think about it, it really is kind of a, a, a genius thing for Disney to do. Cause now you don't have all these people just standing in a queue line. Now you have people that are out buying stuff at shops <laughs> that are out, you know, eating at restaurants and, and, you know, they're spending money, which is what Disney wants everybody to do, honestly, when it comes down to it. Um, or you're, riding other rides and attractions. I honestly hope they do that same system for, you know, when they open up Tron light cycle next year or guardians of the galaxy and, you know, some of their big e-ticket attractions when, uh, when they come into fruition. Yeah. So I, I think it's a, it's a system that obviously it still needs some tweaks and some changes and, and little things like that. And I think they've started doing that now with not letting the land open so early. They're actually opening at proper times. Now people understand kind of how it's working. Um, but I think it's something that can be really valuable moving forward with some of these bigger rides coming. I, I agree. I think I think you said it well. And a, a couple of quick tips for folks um, to avoid maybe some of the most common problems that folks are having um, with this system. So the biggest problem is that this rush to grab boarding passes right as the park is opening um, has created, in a lot of situations, more stress on the uh, My Disney Experience system than the system can handle. Uh, both in terms of the system itself and really more than that, the network. So um, ideally, what you want to do is get your, um, you know, if you've got decent cell service, disconnect, turn off Wi-Fi, right, completely. Because if you're using Disney's Wi-Fi, you're dealing with the congestion. And and the problem is that it's it's a massive amount of congestion because it's every guest trying to grab their, their boarding pass. Plus, the entry kiosks all communicate via Wi-Fi, plus the cast members with the iPads that are helping the people who are having problems with the kiosks are connecting via Wi-Fi. So even if the network is there, there's so much congestion that that's a place where people run into problems. The app won't refresh uh, and all of that because it's not fetching fresh data. The best thing to do, turn off Wi-Fi. Use your own cell service. Second thing, oh, go ahead. Willie, I was gonna wait. Say your second thing first. Okay. Second thing is, um, people get ang- get excited, and as soon as they get through the the gates, they want to start grabbing their boarding pass. Now, some of that's been solved, as Brian said, by changing. They can't. They won't let you grab a boarding pass immediately as soon as you walk in anymore. You have to wait until park opens. They won't become available until park opening. But um, the key is, if you open that and start trying to grab a boarding pass, and it's not letting you get a boarding pass. Try grabbing a boarding pass for less than all of the people with you. So if you've got eight people with you, you may find that it's hard to get a boarding pass. Go ahead and get one with six or four or whatever. Um, you can, 
if you want to be, you know, safe about it and do it the the, the right way, um, then go to somebody, one of the guest experience team um, kiosks, explain to them you tried to get it, everybody was in the park, but it wouldn't give you, you know, the, the ability to get everybody in your boarding group. They can sometimes fix it on the back end. Um, worst case scenario, you show up together at the entrance of the attraction and are polite and kind, and often the cast members will wave you in to be a part of the same group together. But um, the the important part is don't give up, right? Don't just throw your arms up and say, gosh, I can't, if I can't get it for eight, then we're not going to make a boarding pass because, you know, we're, we want to ride together and not at all. Make the reservation for as many people as you can and then deal with getting the other folks added in. One thing I will say, my brother was there January, all through the end of New Year's and he got to the park at 630 was in the park at seven o'clock and two cast members clearly told him log out of the app and at seven log into the app. Don't keep trying to refresh. He says, and literally he got boarding group like 28 at that time of year, which was awesome. He said he was done with the ride by 9am, which, you know, for all the hiccups it's had, that's a pretty good quick load for New Year's. Although all the data I'm seeing is it's it's getting better. There are fewer downtimes and it's it's getting through more people per day than it had been. So probably 60-70%, which is only going to improve. Right. Any other thoughts, Brian, tips, suggestions? No, I mean I I think it's it's we've pretty much covered those. Yeah, it's you know, get in, you know, be calm about it. There there's really you know, no hassle to, to jump right in, right at opening. I mean, I've seen things where, uh, yeah, I had a friend that was there last week and he got into the park, I think at like 10 o'clock and was still able to get a boarding pass, you know, when it came down to it. So it's actually starting to, to situate itself out now where people are seeing that they don't have to line up at four in the morning or anything, you know, crazy like that. Or yeah. like myself on opening day that lined up at, you know, two 30 in the morning with, with all the crazy people. Right. <laughs> um, especially now that you know how the boarding passes work. I think one thing Disney could do that would uh, maybe assist that because they are still running out of boarding passes early is find a way to, to find their sweet spot. You know, if they know that it's, you know, 60 boarding groups or, you know, hundred boarding groups or whatever it is for the day, find a way to split that maybe. Um, Cause one complaint that you do see coming in on it is people that are, you know, I can't get to the park that early with, you know, my kids or anything like that. So they can't get there, you know, or, or with special needs or anything like that, where they're getting there, you know, at 11 or 12 and the boarding passes are usually already gone by then. So if they found a way to break that, where they offer part of the boarding passes, you know, at, at park open, and maybe another half of them later on in the day that they open up some more to, to people. If they can find a way to manage that, I think that might, you know, help them out a little bit with some of the negativity, you know, around the boarding passes from some folks. Well, yeah. And, and the other, Oh, I, I remember the one other tip I was going to share. Um, so there was um, a little while there when the ride was first opening where people were finding that if they grabbed a boarding group right away, that sometimes they could actually get a second boarding group. Um, not anymore. They've locked that out, uh, one per day for now. Uh, that may change later when things moderate a little bit, but for the time being, um, you know, you'll get a boarding group. Don't worry about when it is because they ain't, they're not going to get you a second one anyway. No, that was one of the problems on opening day. There was, uh, some of us that were able to get on the ride basically right away. And I know I was able to get on the ride and automatically you jump off going, I got to do that again. 
and you you know i was able to snag a second boarding pass um and unfortunately i wasn't able to use it that day because it was too high up in the number and it was one of the ones that hey sorry we're not going to get you a boarding pass exactly but um that was that was one of the big problems is people jumping off those first couple of days and slamming right down and and snagging it and not letting anybody else experiencing uh that that experience that it is yeah um all right so i want to talk just very very briefly about the attraction itself i don't want to go into a lot of detail because i don't want to ruin it for anybody but I, i want people to get at least a sense of the complexity of the attraction so they understand you know why it is that this is a big deal why we need these boarding passes why they're running at 75 percent efficiency 80 percent efficiency maybe um and and what's going on so um it's a huge attraction physically. It takes up a lot of space. And the reason it takes up a lot of space is that it seems to me what they've done is taken the concept of sort of interactive cues that they've been ramping up over the last several years and essentially taken Rise of the Resistance and made it into almost like one, like, it's it's like a, an interactive cue into an attraction, and it's like a, a, a it's like a slowly building spectrum, right? And and it it starts more interactive cue and gets to be more attraction by the end. But ultimately, you're going through what amount to multiple different attractions and ride systems, all in a single quote unquote ride. So. You start out in a queue, and the queue is well themed, and you get the first of your uh, your your sort of um, gathering rooms. Right, think in terms of uh, haunted mansion or um, uh, Tower of Terror, where you get sort of your group of folks gathered together, and you've got now a subset of the people that are in the line all gathered together, and um, there's a, a scene there with you know, some amazing tech, um, great audio animatronic, great um, hologram projection, uh, just really top-notch stuff. Um, You go from there to uh, your next stage, and, you know, it's a, a, a simulation, right? But they do such a beautiful job of both the simulation piece and then the fact that, you know, you go in through the doors and when that section is over, they hustle you back out through the same door you came in and you go someplace else. So I I liken that to some extent to um, your stretching room in the Haunted Mansion, right? It's got the same sort of function um, is to get you turned around a little bit and then headed in the right direction. And then you have... A, an almost like a um, a walkthrough attraction piece, right? Like you would walking through the tunnel in in Cinderella's castle, right? Because there's stuff to look at all around, but it's not uh, you know not necessarily uh, um, something that's that's happening, right? You're not on a ride. You're you're kind of in a queue. You're but it's not a line. They tell you over and over again, don't don't get in a line. Just gather, fill all the space. They gather you into another, you know, to ultimately another holding area. Move along to the next stage, and the next stage is, you know, the the next big experience, and really is where they're going to, you know, get you onto what becomes the final attraction. Um, 
So without going into a whole lot of detail, and I think I've, we've done that fairly well, right? We've given people an overview without detail. But I want to talk about that last stage a little bit because I have had some questions from folks about how intense it is, what's intense about it, and um, you know, maybe talk a little bit in terms of, of – um, I mean, it's a 40-inch height requirement, so we know that there's – it's not going to be good for the the smallest of kids, but w- what parts or what issues um, do people need to be concerned about in terms of being physically comfortable to do the, the attraction? Um, Brian, you have any thoughts on that? You know, I think uh, really the the big thing there was there was a little bit of that that you know quick stop reverse type type deal going right. with the trackless ride. So you know if you're if you're not exactly paying attention to that because let's be honest there's so much going on around you that just to keep keep a mind of of like where you're moving and what's going on because your head's constantly on a swivel of just what the heck is going on around you um there was a couple of times where it kind of you know jerked me for a quick second not anything where you know i walked away with like my neck hurting or going oh man that was a little rough but it definitely i could see where if you have you know a younger kid or or somebody that just you know isn't ready for something like that that could grab you the other thing is just all the flashing lights and everything so if you're somebody that has you know and they have the warning there if you're somebody that has you know epileptic you know seizures or anything like that then you know you're gonna probably want to steer clear because there are tons of lights and everything going off in there you know any other thoughts willie Things about, you know, people who might want to be cautious? No, because, I mean, Brian did a great job of explaining all that. The one thing I will say is there are the few surprises, and those elements are explained in the ride, but they're they're surprises, and they're, you know, they're great. But like Brian said, your head is always moving. I missed half the stuff because – you're looking left and things are going right. You're looking over your head. You're looking behind you. Next thing you know, you're in a different room or you're doing something else. And like, I don't want to ruin the ride, but right. it's well. I mean, there's there's that so one busy. there's one section of the ride where you know, especially if you're in a car full of people who who know the movies and who are fans. You know, as you enter that section of the ride, you you kind of whip around a corner, and I mean, you you know. It, you have people stifling swearing uh, because like, Oh my God. Right. I mean, just very wow. much so. Wow. There's a, and there's a couple of those big wow moments. So, so that's well spoken. It's interesting to me. It's kind of like, it's almost the opposite of the effect at, at um, space mountain, right? Space mountain feels faster than it really is because you're in the dark and you can't see anything. I think rise of the resistance is the opposite, but has a similar effect. It, it feels more intense because, you're so distracted by everything around you and you're, you're constantly, as you keep saying, you know, you're looking for the next thing that everything feels a little more intense. Um, the, the one area where I do get a lot of questions from folks is, um, you know, people do know that there is a drop involved. Um, so if you were going to say, you know, what, what would you say if, if you ranked the, the drop on a scale of, you know, um, oh, you know, one, one being, um, the, the little half drop at the beginning part of, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, right. To, you know, 10 being, um, you know, the, the, the big drop from Tower of Terror. Um, you know, where would, where would you put the drop in Ride of the Resistance? 
Yeah, I guess I, I would go probably about a, a four. So I, I don't think it was, you know, it's not a big drop, um, at least in my view of, you know, it's not Tower of Terror drop or anything crazy like that. But it's it's more like when you're on uh, Star Tours, you know, and, and you kind of take one of those dives down into, you know, an ocean or something like that. One of those scenes, you, you definitely feel it, but it's not anything that is Tower of Terror or anything crazy like that. Do you agree, Willie? I would put it even lower. I was thinking almost of the pirates drop because by the time you've dropped, it's the same amount of time that pirates is and pirates is in the dark. Yeah. So, I mean, like it, it surprised me, but I was told there was a drop. So it, you know, you're waiting for it. And when it comes right down to it, you know, you'll, you'll know when it gets there, like just before you'll know that that's what's happening. So it won't be a total surprise. Um, but, but uh, yeah, I would agree. I, I mean, I think it's probably, you know, three or four, somewhere around there. Um, it's not a bad drop. And actually I think in terms of, of discomfort or whatever, I, I actually think it's not as bad as star tours because, you know, when it's, when you're diving at star tours, there's that pitch action as well. Whereas in, in rise resistance, it, it's pretty much a straight down drop or a straight drop. So, you know, it's, it's more, um, more elevator like as opposed to being, that motion issue as well. Yeah. I would say because the ride vehicle is a more structured, like, you know, it's a car. Yeah. Unlike star tours where it's a huge, you know, ship style thing where it's hard to, you know, control. What is it? 38 people get in star tours or something like that. Right. You know, there's eight of us in rise of the resistance. And, and, and star tours is a fixed vehicle. It can't drop. So it's got a tilt. Right. That's all it can do is that it pivots on a fulcrum. So there's only, you know, it, the only way it can simulate going down is to pitch as opposed to just dropping straight down. So, um, all right. So I think that's a pretty good, um, um, overview of it. I think the bottom line is that I've never felt inside a film as much as I felt while on that ride of the resistance attraction. Would you, would you agree? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I think it's uh, definitely one of the most immersive experiences I've ever had. Um, you know, on a ride, you walk in and, you know, you expect with Disney, you know, some type of theming, some type of story. You know, that that's what you come to know and love and expect when it comes to Disney. This was something completely far above that by any stretch of the means. Um, this was something where you walked in and, and you did. Your head's always on a swivel. It, there's always something going on around you. They're, you're part of the story. And the great thing is, um, and I don't know how many times you guys ended up on it, but there's no same ride based on what car you're in or where you sit. There's different views, different things going on. It's absolutely, I mean, Imagineering did, in my view, the top notch with this ride. I totally agree. I came home and I told my family, Flight to Passage used to be the best ride at Disney, and this took the place. And I'm not a Star Wars fan. Like, like this ride is so mind-blowing. And like we've said over and over, you look left and you miss everything on the right. You look right, you miss everything up above you, behind you. It's so immersed that you just, I mean, you can't keep up. And like, how many times have you ridden now, Brian? 
Uh, I've gone. I've, I've done twice now. That's all I was blessed with <laughs> on the uh, the opening week that I was there. But it was uh, it, it was it was absolutely just absolutely amazing when it when it came down to it. Um, you know, like I said, I was able to get their opening day, and I was part of the fifth group that got to go on it. Um, so I didn't. You know, I, I was able to stay away from all the YouTube videos and and all that type of stuff. You know, fortunately, the day I was there, that's when most of that was being taped. So you had a lot of the YouTubers there that the day that that opened and, and all of that going on. So I was blessed with not having to, you know, keep myself up with somebody's video and, and try to stay away from it all. So but it was uh, absolutely, absolutely amazing. Just, you know, from the, the detail and and the surprises that they have and, and just trying to figure out how did Disney do that? You know, how did they, you get in one part and, and all of a sudden you're in another part and you're going, wait a minute, this, <laughs> how did this happen? Um, and, and the, the video technology they used, you know, with all their high def technology and stuff in some areas, it just, it, I can understand why they have some of the downtime that they have here and there, because you're talking what three different ride systems that they put together all the technology and the, the the code that goes in putting that together and getting it up and running and then to top it off the cast members i think really put it over the edge when it came down to it um you know when you have cast members that are completely engulfed in their role that they're playing on that is uh absolutely just amazing no i agree and i, I think that um one of the things that kind of makes it i mean one of the things that made it so impressive to me is we've been in this era of um, attractions that are built around video screens of some kind. And there's some of that in Rise of the Resistance, absolutely. But what really impressed me was the number of and the level of practical effects that went into this attraction. Um, the number of, of audio animatronics and audio animatronics with very natural movement um, and all of the, the practical effect elements that really set it apart to me. Cause you know, so many of the attractions that have been the, you know, the best new attraction, whatever for, for the next, you know, cycle has, has been a series in a lot of ways of various 3d video attractions. And the fact that this is, is decidedly, you know, for all the video pieces to it, decidedly not a 3d video attraction, uh, I think makes it that much more outstanding. Totally. I mean, there's just no, really, there's no explaining this ride. Like you can try to explain just the queue and you'd be, you'd use up all your words for the day. And then, I mean, really, I mean, it's, you know, we were, we were trapped for a little while in what would you call it? Part two of the ride? Uh, three. Three. And you could, you could, I mean, if we weren't so tired, we could have done a lot more in that room. Oh yeah. I mean, it was just so, so impressive. All right. Uh, so I guess just to wrap up, I want to do a quick wrap around here and we'll have, you know, any other last tips or suggestions for the land, anything involving any of the attractions, restaurants, shops, any of those kinds of things, tips or suggestions, uh, Brian. You know, I, I think the big thing with the land is really take, take some time out, you know, don't just try to rush through and be like, Oh, it's just another star Wars land, especially for those that aren't star Wars fans, you know, really take a look at the detail. Um, you know, if you are somebody that's technology savvy and you look, you know, you 
got a smartphone and, and your data pad, as they call it, in, in Black Spire Outpost. Uh, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do there, interactive, you know, games that you can play throughout uh, Black Spire Outpost. You know, take some time and really kind of engulf yourself in it. Um, learn some of the lingo for sure. You know, there, there's the, the cast members, they really get interactive when you can walk up and, you know, your bright suns and, and rising moons and, and really getting some of the lingo down and just kind of allow yourself to get thrown into it. And, and I think it helps take it just that much more extra than what it is just walking in and just being blown away as it is, but, you know, really immerse yourself into it for however little bit of time you are there. And, uh, just really check it out and enjoy it. it. It's it's something that I think a lot of people, when it first opened, they took for granted, um, you know, because they didn't have the big Rise of the Resistance ride open when it first opened. So I think a lot of people kind of went in, ooh, Millennium Falcon, that was their big thing. And then it was like, all right, they're out of there. That they just didn't take the time to enjoy and really immerse themselves into what Disney really, you know, because it was something so different, you know, yeah. um, that it was just just – Give yourself that time. Enjoy it. You know, check out some of the uh, just all the detail that's in there. All right. Uh, how about you, Willie? Any any, you know, last thought? Well, like Brian was saying, you know, everyone went to Toy Story Land and spent hours looking at Toy Story Land. Star Wars is the same thing. You might not be a huge Toy Story fan, but look at what they've done. I mean, from just the. You know, the aerial views all the way down to the, you know, the simple, like, shops, the the hidden Millennium Falcon. Right. I mean, you know, they the Imagineers have done so much with that ride, the, the, that um, land uh, area and land that you just take your time. Don't rush. And I do recommend get up early. Go to the park early. Get in there. You know, get your you know 93 you know loading time but then go you know walk around do that go back to your room if you need to take a nap but still just look around and take in that part of you know hollywood studios because they really did an amazing job with that park all right well i think the my parting thought that i want to remind people of is um you know don't forget we've still got star tours which is not in galaxy's edge it's separate um which if you think about it thematically makes sense, but, um, you know, star tours just got updates. It just got new scenes, uh, to go with the release of rise of Skywalker. So, um, you know, I, I know that everybody's mostly excited about galaxy's edge, but if you're a star Wars fan, make sure that you circle back and spend some time at star tours. Um, You've still got multiple changing scenes. You've still got, you know, you're not going to get the same ride twice. And um, it's got these new scenes that uh, are well worth experiencing. And you can get a fast pass for it. That's right. You all have heard our thoughts on Galaxy's Edge. Uh, and we've talked specifically about Walt Disney World this time. Um, but really, this is all pretty well mirrored at Disneyland. Um as, as much as they could be identical lands, they are. Um, but, you know, you've heard our thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. What, what's been your reaction? If you've gotten a chance to, to check out Galaxy's Edge, you know, what really impressed you? What stood out? Uh, what, what did you love? What did you not love so much? What do you wish they could change? Uh, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at podcast at bizdads.com. You can visit our uh, 
blog, disdads.com, which has really just become the home of the, the podcast, but we'd love to have you commenting on episodes. Uh, you can visit us on Facebook. Uh, we're just Disdads Podcast on Facebook or on Twitter at Disdads Podcast. Uh, you could also reach out to Willie or I individually. Um, for me, it's AJ Ritz, A-J-R-I-T-Z, at disdads.com. Uh, Willie, what email address do you want people to contact you with? You can contact me at Willie at wickedmousetravel.com. Again, that's W-I-L-L-I-E. All right. And uh, Brian, I don't know if you want people sending you an uh, email directly. We're happy to pass on uh, messages that we get from, from you, although I can't imagine anybody having anything but kind things to say because you've been a great guest and we really appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience with us. Uh, you know, until next time, I've been Aaron Ripmaster with my co-host, Willie Crocker. Have a good one, guys. And sitting in for the seafaring Tim Hicks, Brian LaBeouf. All right, everybody have a great day. Thanks again, Brian. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks, guys. It was a blast. All right. Nice job. All right. I don't play that thing, man.